scripture this morning comes from Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one right to you. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive unto the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken 
from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had sent, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the, peoples, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May the Lord bless our understanding of his word this morning that we might take it to heart and walk in obedience to the Lord's instructions and his commands. Let's bow now if you remain standing with me in a word of prayer. Father we thank you for the opportunity once again to come into this building and to pray, to worship with the believers that are gathered here today to speak your truth to all, some who may not be believers today who hear your word, we pray that you would speak especially, open their ears of understanding, that they might understand the gospel and be saved and trust Christ as Lord and Savior. To those who are believers, that you would speak to each one and encourage their heart to totally turn to you, to turn from sin to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him wholeheartedly. We pray, Lord, for a group of, of believers that are among this group who aren't here today, who are, um, we, we, we think of Sister Beverly, who right now at this moment may be going through an operation. We pray that you would be with the surgeons. We pray that you would bring um, calm and peace to Charles, to Charmone, to Lawrence, all of her family. We thank you for the confidence and faith, the strong faith that she has. As we've talked to her in the recent days, she just rejoices to be your child. She takes joy in your uh, uh, power and charge in her life and looks forward to what you are going to do in her life. And we would ask, Lord, that you would bless her, that you would strengthen, that you would heal that you would be with and comfort her as well, encourage her hearts. Lord, we, uh, we rejoice today to have in our midst Sister Lola Spears and that you allowed her to be with us today. And I know 
That is a, a great endeavor on her part, Lord. We know, Lord, that she is suffering from cancer. We know that that is a word that we hate to use in, in, in this culture, knowing how dominating it has been as a disease that brings destruction to our bodies. And yet, Lord, we hold her in prayer to you, thanking you, Lord, first of all, that she trusts in you, that she recognizes you as her Savior, her faith, is in you her faith is strong she desires lord that her family would hear and 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 see that faith and testimony and and trust you in a like manner and we pray for that as well we also pray lord not just for her testimony but for her healing praying lord that you would sustain that you would watch over that you would protect and you would bless and that you would heal so lord we pray also for sister minnie kathy and and that same situation in her life, Lord, this is, she's under uh, a, a very serious uh, medical condition. We would pray for her deliverance from that, Lord. She seeks daily, uh, uh, she has a daily need to, to, to have medical care each and every day. And we just pray on her behalf. We thank you for her faith. We thank you, Lord, for her strong desire to see her family, especially her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, uh, to follow the faith that she has and to trust you. And, Lord, we pray for that as well. We pray for her testimony in that regard. And uh, we thank you for her family being in, even here today and, and uh, part of that family just being faithful to serve you here in our Sunday school and in our church. So, Lord, we pray for... Um, your healing in her body as well, Lord. We know that you are able, and there's nothing too hard for you. We also know, Lord, and recognize that you did not make our bodies here to live forever in this state. But uh, we know, Lord, that uh, at some point our, our lives are going to end here, and, and eternity will begin with for us in an eternal state. And we look forward to that. But while we're here, we do pray for your deliverance. We do pray for um, the, the ability to be a good testimony before others. We pray for your healing and for your power. I pray for my father as well, Lord, in a similar way that you would work in his life and you would encourage his heart, my mom as well, and that you would uh, work healing so that as he goes through this, this time in life that uh, he can maintain that testimony for you, that he can have a level of comfort in serving you and, and living his last days. So we pray your power, your blessing, even your healing on him. And Lord, we pray this. There's others in our midst, Lord, who are going through different types of ailments and troubles, and we do pray for them. We thank you for deliverance that you've given. Um, we pray and, and, and thank you uh, for your, your power of healing that as we have seen in so many of us here. We pray even more, Lord, for the spiritual healing that's needed. We pray for those who we have reached out and touched in our evangelism, those who we have ministered to in our garden harvest, in the many camps that we've had, in the different ways that we have gone out and talked. We pray, Lord, that your gospel will be effective and fruitful, and Lord, you would bring people to trust in you and that you would save them, bring them to be a part of this church. Bless now the preaching of your word. We thank you for the committed servant that you have called to preach your word. We thank you for Brian. We thank you for him giving his life, him giving his time and his service here uh, to serve you and your people. We pray the blessing of the preaching of your word that it might 
be a powerful uh, a message from your Holy Spirit through him. And if you use it in our lives to edify, build us up, to strengthen, to comfort, to convict, to save, and to encourage in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. Our God is an awesome God, isn't he? I praise God. He put a word on my heart. And it is about him being awesome. But the main thing that we're going to look at today is this, that nothing can stop God from growing his church. Nothing. And when you look at the book of Acts, each book of the Bible has its own melody. We and those of us who study the scripture in order to preach it, we call that the melodic line. But it is the melody that flows through the book that decides what that book is. Each book is like a song. And while there might be different chapters, right, you might have a little solo of this. You might have a verse here. You might have a chorus there. But in the end, you think of a song, you think of how that song's central theme is, right? So you think of a song and you think immediately of the chorus and the part that's repeated over and over. And when you think about Acts, you think about the melody of that book, what you think about is the spread of the gospel or the growth of the church, but really the two are much the same. Because a church is a group of people that's dedicated to believing and spreading the gospel. The church is universal. It is all the people who believe in Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the truth about judgment and salvation that brings about the growth of the church. And so you can't have the gospel without the church, and you can't have the church without the gospel. And so the spread of the gospel throughout the world is also the growth of the church throughout the world. And in chapter 3, when you read chapter 3, you can't help but see that there's this miracle that happens when Peter brings up this guy who can't even walk, never walked, right? He never walked from birth. It's not like he broke his leg and it didn't heal, right? He was one of those people who was like his legs were dead. He had legs. It just didn't work. He was somebody who would diligently beg at the same place in the same time so that people kind of knew who he was. And so one day Peter and John go up there and they're going up to worship and they say, hey, man, we don't got any money to give you. And I know at that point he had to be a little disappointed. Like, why did you call out to me if you don't have anything to give me? But Peter says that just to bring a contrast between what they can't give to what they can give. And so in that moment of, ah, why are you even reaching out to me? Peter says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this man only, not only walked, he started jumping and leaping. Because he wasn't the same anymore. 
I believe that not only has his body been healed, but his spirit had been healed. Because what made him try to get up? It was only faith that the name of Jesus actually meant something. So this man was saved by the gospel before he was healed by the name of Jesus. And after he was healed, he sprung up. And so we see a miracle that spreads the truth of the gospel. Because all these people now gather around because this miracle has happened. And we look at this miracle and we say, man, we need miracles like this. But at the same time, that's a rebuke of the people that we see that they need miracles. Miracles are necessary, kind of like, you know, when somebody's about to die. Is that called a defibrillator? You put the electronic charges on them, that's what it's called. And you put the little shock on them. That's not necessary for the living. It's necessary for those that are about to die. And so miracles are necessary like a defibrillator. It's necessary for the dying, not the healthy. But it created an audience for a gospel-filled sermon that Peter delivered. And Peter didn't hold back any punches because he was preaching the gospel. And the gospel is about sin. The gospel is about judgment, and the gospel is about salvation in that order. I always despair when I see these preachers who think they can talk about Jesus, but they don't talk about sin. Now let me tell you, you can't preach the gospel without teaching about how man is hopelessly lost in sin. How sin is the enemy that we can't beat on our own. The Bible talks about even our understanding is darkened. Even our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Even our bodies are corrupted. Even creation is crawling out for God to redeem it. There is nothing that we can see that is in us that is good. The Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we see in the Bible a mention of our condition, it is hopeless. And until we preach a gospel that the condition of the world is hopeless, they will not look upwards to God for hope. And because of sin, God and his utter righteousness will not pass over sin. He will not endure sin long. He is not patient with sin. He has put a place. He has set a time where he will put an end to all sin. And there's only one hope, that's Christ. Not ourselves. We can't work harder because our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. No, we can only hope that Christ's righteousness can be substituted for our righteousness. That's the gospel. But the main body of what we're going to look at is in Acts 4. After they have been preaching, here comes the Sadducees in the army marching in. And you can tell by the way they marched in that it wasn't like this was an accident, right? They had been waiting, lying in wait to stop these people. And why were they lying in wait? Because immediately as soon as they heard that in Jesus there is resurrection of the dead, 
They got all uptight. And what happens is, is this, that as you know about the Sadducees, they had this belief that there was no resurrection and that there was no really anything spiritual. They were using their duty as a means to oppress the gospel. What was their duty? Well, since they were the priest or the leaders over the temple, they were in charge and were supposed to stop people who were preaching strange doctrines. That actually was their job, right? Think about it. What if we ran this church and then somebody came in here and they was preaching about Allah and we just stood by and watched them? Will we be doing our job? No, right? So if somebody come in here and start teaching and we don't know who they are, it is our job to check them out and see what they're doing, right? But these people weren't concerned about what God was doing because later on we're going to see that. They was concerned because they were preaching about the resurrection. And it's amazing that Satan was able to insert these people into the church of God. Because if you think about it, the fact that they didn't even believe in no resurrection is already something that should have disqualified them right there. That they didn't even believe that God could restore from the dead. So then why are they in the church? And we look at their Sadducees and we see their ideology, which is that they don't believe in a resurrection. And we see that as the enemy, but I want us to beware not to see the ideology as the enemy but to recognize that the enemy is using the ideology to oppose the gospel. Let me tell you this, a Christian. When you go to school, you will see false ideologies. There will be evolution being taught in our schools. And you can go to an abortion clinic and you can see a false ideology that says that what is being killed is not a human being. And that is nothing wrong in killing that. And when you go out on our streets, you can see a false ideology that somebody who can do drugs, there's nothing wrong with that. And you can go to our jails and you can see a false ideology. And there's no place in society that you can't go where you can't see some false ideology, whether that be socialism, whether that be communism, whether that be liberalism, whatever you want to call it, in the end, it's a mode of thinking that opposes God, but that's just the puppet. Look at the puppet master. We in the Christian community can get so caught up in these battles, these political battles I see, that we don't look to the spiritual battle beyond these, that drives these, that motivates these. People get up on Facebook and they all talking about what Trump did and what this person did and what that person did, and I'm looking at what Christ did. What is God doing. These people have a bad ideology, but what's worse than their ideology is that they reject the hope that is in Christ. And that's what really matters. And if we're going to punch a hole in their ideology, and that will be good, let's make sure that we point them to the hope that is in Jesus Christ alone. We can win a debate with people and not save them. And so these people decide to arrest the apostles. But you know what? Paul said this. I'm suffering because of the gospel. But the gospel can't be chained. I kind of look forward to the day, and I'm kind of afraid of the day, 
when I can stand up before you and say, the police threatened me for preaching the gospel. But the truth can't be threatened. I was arrested the other day for preaching on the corner. But the gospel can't be arrested. This can't stop the spread of the gospel. Because it says in verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Not that 5,000 had been saved at that moment, but that the church as a whole grew to 5,000 men. Because persecution can't stop the gospel. In fact, if you look at verse 5 through 12, you see that opposition actually spreads the gospel. Verse 5, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? In their attempt to corner the apostles, they set them up with an alley-oop. You can't ask for a better question to explain what's the gospel. Right? And that's what opposition does oftentimes. Opposition oftentimes gives us the platform that we can use to preach the gospel truth. So these people trying to set them up, trying to threaten them. Man, what, what, makes you, what gives you a right to do that? Praise God they asked that question. Because now Peter gets the answer. Peter says, hey, if we be in judge because we healed a guy who was lame, let you know. I'm going to let you know by what power we did this. In other words, he kind of giving them a little bit of elbow there and say, hey, I guess we're guilty of healing somebody. But since we are guilty, let me tell you how we did it. It was the name of Jesus that did it. What does he mean by the name of Jesus? I think about my brother. My brother is a police officer. When he go up to somebody's house, he don't say, in the name of Jeremy, open up. He says, police! We got a warrant out for your arrest. Open the door. And what is he saying when he said we got a warrant? Or what is he saying when he said we got police? We're the police. He's saying in the name of the law, which I have the power to enforce, open the door. I also have the power to enforce the law, which means I can break down the door. Come out. You're under arrest. Now, when we look at that power of the name, what it means is the authority, right? And whose name are they coming? Whoever signed the warrant. The judge said, hey, we can arrest you. It is not against your legal right that we arrest you. In fact, we are well within our rights to arrest you. But the name of Jesus is not something that is meant to be said lightly. Because what it means is, in Jesus' authority, I stand. You can consider me right now Jesus. Now that's a powerful statement. That's why I kind of worry about people who use the name of Jesus a little bit too lightly. I'm not just talking about using his name in vain, because that's bad enough. We already know that's bad. I'm talking about people who think they're being holy by saying it. Because if at that moment you're not representing Jesus when you're saying it, you are saying something that's very profane. I believe that I'm preaching in the name of Jesus. 
But that means that's a high standard to which I must preach. I must preach the words that Jesus wants me to say. And if Jesus is preaching before you, you must obey because God is preaching. And that's a heavy burden. That's why we say to a demon, in the name of Jesus, leave. And what we're saying is, Jesus said, leave. And you have no right to defy him because he's God. He does what he wants and as he pleases. Therefore, you have no power to resist God. It's not me. That's why when people say they cast out a demon and they do all this yelling and hoopla, it is not necessary. Because is Jesus doing that hoopla? No, that's you. So you're confusing you with Jesus. Don't do that. Because in a battle between you and a demon, you will always lose. But in a battle of Jesus and a demon, he will always win. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, demon depart. That's all we got to say. We don't got to get all excited. Because it's Jesus who's doing the battling, not us. In the name of Jesus. There's a song that's about that, isn't it? In the name of Jesus. Remember that song? In the name of Jesus, we have the victory, right? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. Why he got to flee? It's not, now Jesus is not a magical code, right? People always see the name of Jesus as if we say a magical code. And so we say it at the end of our prayers so that it's like a magical phrase that we say. It's kind of like abracadabra, except we say, in the name of Jesus. And that makes it work. But that's not how the name of Jesus works. In the name of Jesus says, Jesus literally stamped this prayer with his authority. And if you can't say Jesus stamped this prayer with his authority, you ought not say, in the name of Jesus. That's why we have to pray according to his will. Because the moment we are not praying according to his will, our stamp of in the name of Jesus is invalid. So even our very prayers have to go through his will because we are calling ourselves the representatives of Jesus whenever we say in the name of Jesus. So he says, and I mean this quite literally, he's saying Jesus healed this man. Not me. Jesus healed him. And they're going to say through themselves, well, we killed Jesus. And he's saying, well, Jesus that you crucified, he's alive. <laughs> and they're going to say, well, we rejected this Jesus. He said, but God chose him to be the chief cornerstone, which you builders rejected. See, why were they builders? Because they were part of the church. And let me be real, be real pointed with you. The church is the body of believers. It don't matter if you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The church is the church. The church is Israel, if they're saved. The church is Moses, because he's saved. The church is Isaiah, because he's saved. The church is Paul, because he's saved. The church is me and you, if we are saved. The church are those who call on the name of the Lord and are saved. And they are the builders because they are in the place of the church, right? God set up his temple to worship him. And they are in the authority over that. And guess what? That's a God-created authority. And they're sitting there as builders, and they rejected God. And he's saying, you fulfilled the prophecy that speaks about Jesus. 
that even the builders rebuked Jesus. And so you see four things about what, Paul, what Peter says to these religious leaders. The first thing is a rebuke. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. Now you might say, well, of Nazareth, how is that a rebuke? Because they said nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Nazareth to them was like Detroit. <laughs> they said, you crucified. They said, you rejected. In the name of Jesus, who you crucified, you killed him. Who you rejected, but he's God. You also see an appeal. God raised him. He's a chief cornerstone. He is the one that's the salvation. You also see that the gospel is universal. There is no salvation under heaven other than through Jesus. And the gospel is personal. God can save you. Each individual person can be saved by Jesus Christ. Now, when they hear all these things, I love it. Because the, verse next, the next verse talks about the fact that these guys didn't go through seminary like the Pharisees did. They said, man, how do they know all this stuff and they haven't been to school with us? These people been with Jesus. And you see they all looking at each other like, oh, man, they talking just like Jesus. And then you see the next point, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. In verse 16, they say, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. What are they saying? It's hard to lie in this situation. And let me tell you something. Satan only got three tactics. He lies, he threatens, and he murders. And mostly he relies on lies and threats. But we don't have a whole lot of Christians being murdered in our country especially. So he mostly for us is going to be lies and threats. But he do murder from time to time. He murdered Jesus, didn't he? But if we notice the tactics of Satan, what we ought to think about is this. That these tactics can't stop the church. Can a lie work on a person who makes the truth evident? And can threats work on you if you don't allow yourself to feel fear? Now you might say to me, well, it don't matter. I don't know how to make myself not feel fear, Brian. And I'm going to tell you, fear God rather than man. If you fill yourself up with the fear of God, you won't have room for the fear of man. And so you solve your problem. If you fear God enough, it don't matter what kind of threats they make. But let me tell you something. If somebody just going to be mad at me and somebody else got a gun at my head, I'm going to be more threatened by the gun. And so if we look at God as having the gun and these men as tickling us, we understand who we should be threatened by. And Peter said that himself, didn't he? He said, listen, uh, I mean... You got to decide if it's going to be God or you. It's going to be God. And they had to accept that. 
But I think another thing we need to think about is this. People who only care about what men think don't have any authority over us. They were so worried about what the people thought. But Peter and John was worried about what God thought. And they don't have any authority over us. When we go out and we get in battles on Facebook or whatever, and somebody is trying to make us look bad because we are against homosexual marriage, or we are standing against sin, or we are telling people that they're going to hell. You so judgmental. Okay, yeah, so what? I care about what God thinks, not about what man thinks. So what? I don't get no likes for saying the truth. It's still the truth. I'm telling you, you, the best way to get likes is seen to be on Facebook is to say something so stupid that it's unbelievable. Then you'll get a thousand likes. But you tell somebody that Jesus saves, barely a comment. And that's all right. Because I'm worried about whether God is clicking his like button. (laughs) Not whether a whole bunch of people I don't even know is clicking the like button. So it says, one of the things that we see from this section is this. The gospel forces people to recognize the master. Right? But then in the next section, you see this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord. Now, sovereignty is the belief that God has an absolute control of the world, that nothing escapes him, that whatever happens is something that he has both willed and allowed to happen, but it will ultimately be for our good. That's sovereignty. And when you look at sovereignty, we often in the church act like sovereignty is advanced theology. But let me tell you, while it may be advanced in some ways, it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary because sovereignty is needed to get through the hard times. You need sovereignty. People in this church, and we've had battles in the history of this church where people want to say, well, why we got to teach that? That just confused people. It didn't confuse these people. See, when they were facing persecution, they didn't say, well, you know, you can believe in free will, or you can believe in sovereignty. It doesn't matter. It's just an intellectual discussion. No, they said, sovereign Lord. Because accepting sovereignty is the essence of faith. In other words, if we really want to have faith in God, we got to say, God, it's okay that you're in charge. It's okay that you can tell me what to do. It's okay that bad things happen because you are doing it. I accept what you're doing. I accept the hardship. I accept that Beverly's in the hospital and that that's your plan. And that you know what you're doing more than I know what you're doing. I accept that many Kathy and Lola Spears are going through hard times because of their health. And you planned this. And you appointed us to go through these hard times. And we're going to pray for it. I accept that because the alternative is to say God doesn't have control over that. The alternative is to say we don't have any plan, God. We don't know if it's going to work out for good. 
The alternative is to say Satan is in control, not God, or I'm in control, not God, and I don't want to live in that world like that, and neither should you. Real faith in God says, God, you are in control. Yes, even the news reports about the murders that we heard of over the weekend, you knew that was going to happen. You allowed that to happen, and somehow it's going to work out for your good. So when we see all these things on Facebook where people are saying, I don't believe in Jesus Christ no more. And if you ever notice and look at their reasons, it's always a rejection of sovereignty. They're saying, I saw some poor kids in Africa, and I couldn't understand how God can do that. I saw somebody get murdered, and I couldn't understand why God did that. One of my friends told me, man, my little cousin died, and I couldn't understand how God let that happen. And I got to challenge people like that and say this, whether we understand it or not, is God wiser than us or not? And if God did it, it's good. doesn't matter whether we liked how it felt at the moment. We better learn to like it because if God did it, it's good. That's true faith. At the heart of all apostasy is complaining. That's why complaining is such a big sin. It's not just that somebody just whining about something and it's annoying to me and you to hear it. It's rather that complaining is saying, God, the way you did this is not right. And isn't that what apostasy is? They're simply saying, and, and I saw the message from the girl this week who said that she didn't believe in Jesus Christ no more. She said something about how she couldn't believe that God would allow black people to be made slaves and be brought here. And the whole thought behind that is, God, I don't like how things happen. God, I don't like your plan. God, what you did was wrong. I shake my fist at you. That's why sovereignty is absolutely necessary for us to believe as Christians. It is absolutely appropriate for us to discuss it no matter what stage of salvation somebody might be at. Whether somebody just got saved yesterday or whether they've been saved 60 years, they need to accept the sovereignty of God. Because sovereignty, like I said before, gets us through the hard times. That's why they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and everything in them. They said, God, you know when you're sovereign, you got a right to be sovereign because everything is yours. It's just like me. If I go home and I decide to take my cup and throw it on the garbage, it's my cup. You ain't got no right to say nothing about how I do my cup because it's mine. They're saying, God, you made everything. You decide what you want to do with it. In fact, you told us this. In the scripture, why do the Gentiles rage? And the people plot in vain. They gather themselves and plot against these your anointed, who is Jesus, right? And they say, you know what, that was fulfilled in our own sight when we saw Pilate and Herod doing all they dirt and the people of Israel killing Jesus. But look what he says in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, I'm amazed. In some ways, it's amazing, and in some ways, it's not. What did they pray for? Did they pray for escape? 
or did they pray for the power to fight? See, I believe too often we sit in here praying to fight. I mean, praying to escape, not to fight. And it's amazing to me that we can even pray that because in my mind, it's like God built a boxing ring. And God trained you how to jab and how to punch. And God made some boxing gloves for you. And God rang the bell signaling the start of the fight. And in round three, you prayed that the fight didn't exist. You think God is going to answer that? If he already built the boxing ring, gave you the boxing gloves, gave you an opponent, why would he therefore say the fight shouldn't happen? He's going to say no to that. He's going to say knock him out. I think all too often our response to hard to fight sins is, Lord, take it away from me. I hear people say, Lord, take the taste of alcohol away. And I'm not saying he doesn't do that for some, but I think for most of us, he tells us, I gave you the strength to punch the taste of alcohol in the mouth. Now go do it. And I think too often we say, no, Lord, that's too much for me. Let me just run away from that. And we keep falling into that sin over and over and over. Lord, take the desire for lust that I have and just take it away from me. And God says, no. I gave you my spirit. And I gave you your brothers to hold you accountable. Therefore, go out and fight. I think about the promised land that God gave the people of Israel. You notice that they still had to fight to take the promised land that God had given them? He didn't say, I gave you the promised land, and then all the people, they're just going to move out tomorrow. You know, just give them an eviction notice, and they're going to be gone, and then you ain't got to worry. No, he said, go out and fight. Get your armed forces, go out there and defeat the enemy. And I believe that's what he's saying to us today, Christians. He's saying to us today, stop the whining. Accept my sovereignty. I have appointed this opponent for you. Now fight him and defeat him. And the prayer was answered, but I believe this. At any time we pray for God's strength to do what he's already called us to do, he will always answer yes. Always. I believe that that is a prayer that will always be answered yes. If you are a father today and you ask for God's strength to be a good father, God will say yes to that prayer. And if you ask for the wisdom to be a good father, God will say yes to that prayer. If you have a job and God gave you that job, and you say, God, help me to be a good testimony in that job. God will give you the strength to do that. Now, if you pray and say, God, help no opportunities arise where I have to have a good testimony, that will never be answered. Because you're basically saying, I don't want to display the power of God in my life. Now, in verse 32, he says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. 
the gospel is spread by giving and unified hearts. They had everything in common because they had a gospel-centered love. They had unity that was based on the gospel, not based on ignoring the differences that they had, but by solving the differences by the answers that are found in the gospel. They had needs without shame. In other words, it was nobody needy among them because everybody was honest to admit what they needed. People were publicly giving, not privately giving. They were publicly giving. They wasn't afraid to put their name out there and say, hey, I gave this much money. There was no abuse of wants. Nobody was going to the people and saying, hey, you know, um, Barnabas, I know you got some land. I kind of want to buy a DVD player. Help a brother out. That wasn't happening. Because they was worried about their needs, not their wants. There was no defrauding. Because people were being honest about what they could and what they couldn't do. Let me tell you this, Christians. I'm glad that we got a van for the church. But in some ways, I'm afraid that people are going to try to not use the abilities that God had given them to get everywhere else to church. People find a way to get to the store. People find a way to get to their house. People find a way to get to their work. But then magically, they don't have no way to get to church. And they need somebody else to come and put them in. And they don't have, seems like to me, like a lot of times they forget to say thank you. Oftentimes, they are not ones who give. And then I look back in the gospel truth, and I see people here who go into church after they're being threatened by the political forces there. And I got to say to myself, we're not as faithful as we could be. I'm not saying we don't use a church van, but what I'm saying is this. We need to do what's in our power to do. Do that first, and then let God add on. Let me tell you this. I'm real hesitant for people to say, well, you know, if somebody can't afford to go to the picnic, the church will pay for you. Tell me what you can give first. Because I believe a lot of people in here have cell phone bills. A lot of people in here got cable bills. A lot of people in here got PlayStation Network bills. And Netflix bills, and internet bills, and go to McDonald's, and go to Burger King, and go to YMCA. And since we have all these other luxuries, and then we get that church picnic, it's twenty-five dollars. I can't afford. I can't afford that. I gotta say to these people, man, come on now. That's why I don't really believe when people say that. I believe that'd be a lie said in church, boy, I tell you. I'll be ready to get them like chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. But that's for tonight. I'll be ready to say it. But you know, you know, the pastor stopped me because he's wiser than me. But I'll be wanting to say it. Praise God. But I will say this. If you can't do what is required of you, still give something. I don't believe that you should give nothing. If you got $2 in your pocket, get that $2. Do and let God add to what you have done. But don't say, well, since I don't have enough, I'm not giving anything. That is the wrong attitude. 
And I believe that attitude is nowhere accepted in Scripture. But I think it all started with Barnabas about this giving. Look at here, it says in verse 36, Thus Barnabas, who was also called by the apostles, I mean Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field. In other words, this was all sparked by one dude. One guy who was named Joseph, who the apostles found so encouraging, they changed his name. They literally changed his name from Joseph to say, man, look, come on over here, encouragement. That's what they called him. They said, son of encouragement, get over here, man. And that's his name through the rest of the book of Acts. You never see him called Joseph again. And the whole thought behind that is this. All it takes is one act of giving to set the fire for the hearts of the people in the church. Let me end all this to say this. You see a progression in the book of Acts. These people sovereignly trust God to continue his work, even though in chapter 4 they get threatened. And if you ever notice it, the persecution gets worse and worse by the same group of people, right? In chapter 4, they threaten. In chapter 5, they beat the apostles. In chapter 7, they kill Stephen. But this helped to spread the gospel in chapter 8 and 9. This is what I mean when I say God will use any means to spread his gospel. Even, yes, the deaths of his saints. Because he used the death of his son to spread the gospel. To make the gospel even possible. And so we as his servants need to accept hardship for the good of the gospel. The other thing we see is that the gospel can't be stopped. The gospel can't be stopped. In verse 4 they tried to arrest Peter and John. But it says those who believe came to be about 5,000. In verse 13... They had opposed Peter and John. They said, man, these people would have been with Jesus. Verse 21, they tried to threaten them, but they couldn't do nothing else to them because they saw that the man who had been healed was 40-something years old. In verse 31, they prayed for strength. They say, sovereign Lord, look at their threats. They can't, but you know what? They can't stop your work. Another thing I notice is for us, we must learn to anticipate Satan's tactics. He's going to lie, and he's going to threaten us. And maybe one day he might try to murder us. But that shouldn't stop us. The other thing we got to do is recognize that sovereignty is not advanced theology. We need it to get through the tough times. The third thing we need to do is we need to give. We need to be like Barnabas. And the other thing I think about giving is we shouldn't be afraid to give publicly. Because it is a public act of good that encourages the whole body of believers. I think too often when somebody sins, they sin publicly, and when they do good, they do good privately. And I think we all get discouraged over and over, and we don't see nothing good being done. And I think we need to do the opposite. I think when somebody does good, they need to do it as publicly as can, and be encouraged. It's not, unless they bragging, of course, right? But let's minimize, sometimes we got to say, but maybe they is bragging, but let's be encouraged that they're doing something good, right? And we get to see in front of everybody. Did they give? Yeah, they gave. Hey, man, I gave more than my 10% today. Praise God for you, brother. Maybe that'll inspire somebody else to give more than 10%. If you do that, don't be afraid to say that. It's not a sinful brag. 
It's a brag that inspires people to do good just like you doing good. I read my Bible. I read my Bible every day. I don't read my Bible every day. I guess I, I ought to get up to, to his level. Be proud of what you are doing that's good and say it publicly. Realize that God always answers a prayer for strength to do what he's called us to do. And don't fight ideologies alone. Recognize the spiritual forces behind them. We don't need to battle sad you see-ism. We need to tell the truth about the gospel that Jesus resurrects from the dead. And then we need to look to Jesus. Look at all the ways that Jesus is called in Acts 3 and 4. He's called God's servant. He's called the holy and righteous one. He's called the author of life. He's called the chosen one. He's called the fulfillment of all prophecy. Look at the works of ministry that Jesus did that we point to in this passage. His death, by his death he saved us. But he's resurrected. So that means that if we follow in the path of Jesus, we also will be resurrected. And he's alive right now. It's not Peter that healed, it's Jesus that healed. In the name of Jesus means that he's doing the work that we need to do. So let's pray in the name of Jesus, amen? Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have your name, that we have your authority, Lord, but help us not to take that lightly. Help us to do things in your name because you told us to do it. Help us to recognize that it's not we who are doing the things that we say in your name. It's you. And that's why it's so powerful. That's why it affects and shakes our souls. I thank you, Lord, for your word going forth, Lord, in the name of you. Because the speaker of that word is not the focus. It's you who says that word that's the focus. And that's why we get encouraged. So I pray that you bless us, Lord. Help us to Follow your truth. In your name we pray. Amen.